Facts are facts. Opinions about the facts differ. It is therefore the job of the peacemaker to bridge the gap between opinions and in that matter, bring about, bring about reconciliation. The job of the peacemaker is to establish an accord that allows the facts themselves to become the matter of agreement. To do that, however, the peacemaker has to be able to see the facts that lead to peace. The peacemaker threatens with the threat of peace because peace means change. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. This one is about conflict resolution. I got Patrick O'Haver and John Seco. We are again October celebrating leadership with the leadership series, lessons we've learned, books we've read, articles. This one here is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash conflict resolution. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash conflict resolution. And each Tuesday in October, we're doing as we've done in in the past. So the Tech Peterson, right? With the 12 mm-hmm. rules, 12 laws of leadership. Something, what is that? 12, 12 rules of life. 12 rules of life. This actually comes from an article written by uh, Jordan Peterson. Uh, it's called Peacemaking Among Higher Order Primates. So it's a little bit different. The text in this article, it's a seven-page article, but it reads like it's a 400-page novel. Um, it's a very dense, like you said, heavy kind of book. Um, you, you find yourself reading the sentences over and over again. Uh, you find yourself analyzing each word a little bit. Uh, but, you know, what I wanted to do with this is really take a look at conflict resolution in itself and, um, you know, how, how can we, you know, attack conflict as a peacemaker? Uh, a lot of times we find ourselves in that no man's land, which uh, Dr. Peterson references a few times in uh, conflict. You know, we, we find ourselves between the athlete and the coach. We find ourselves between the coach and the administrator. We find ourselves between the athlete and the parent or the parent and the coach. So we're always in that middle zone where we, you know, we talk about our sports medicine team. We're the hub of the wheel uh, and we're the hub of the wheel when it comes to conflict resolution too. Um, coach with an athlete, with a coworker. And how do we kind of work our way through those instances where we need to find a common ground and be a peacemaker when it comes to conflict? So on a similar note, I was just talking about talking to John and I was just having some conflict that that is being being resolved or we're working through resolution and, you know, it involved miscommunication, misunderstanding and details, things like that. So this is definitely something that is very, is very timely, you know, and then looking back at how I talked about last year where I felt attacked. I felt, honestly, I talked to Sarah, I, I felt like most of last year I was defensive. Like I had to protect myself and, and my coworker and my program and, and I just felt defensive. And so this year I kind of came into it differently and I felt, you know, like I was in a good place and there was a lot of positive interaction that reinforced that. And then now I feel like I'm almost back to that same spot. It's like, Oh great, here we go again. So if I'm going to be a peacemaker, how can I bridge the the gap so in, in our situation it was kind of uh, it was COVID related and um, there was issues with the admin and and parents and I was kind of involved in the middle there so how can I be a peacemaker and how can I make sure I see and hear and bridge both sides 
Well, first, I want to introduce uh, Patrick O'Haver, who's with us again. Um, Patrick, why don't you, you know, we talked a little bit last week of who you are, but uh, how can you or how are you going to help with our conversation here uh, with your past um, job duties? Well, thanks, John. And it's great to be on the podcast again, the Sports Medicine uh, Podcast. It's uh, great. Um, again, I'm Patrick O'Haver I'm, uh, from Northwest Indiana. I uh, originally grew up in Michigan. Um, so John and I share that common bond of, uh, Detroit, uh, sports fans. So, um, the, uh, I was a assistant supervisor for our, our out, hospital based outreach high school program and, uh, dealt with about 26 staff in 19 locations. And we, every organization going to have conflict, just like Jeremy said, just like you said. Um, and I hope I learned a lot with the conflicts. You learn a lot with dealing with people, dealing with, uh, conflicts. Uh, they could be as big as not wanting to wear the proper shoes or the proper uniform, or it could be just as simple as, Hey, wear your name, your name badge when you do um, this, or it could be it's very simple sometimes to try to get them to do an extra duty. Um, that's, or if you get in uh, trouble with a uh, school administration and uh, they want to, they think you did something, uh, untoward or potentially uh, against your practice act. Um, you have to be able to resolve that conflict. And I hope I, I definitely don't, I'm not the expert. And I did not do it right all the time. I definitely learned a lot dealing with my employees and I continue to, to grow and learn on that, uh, on that, uh, that aspect. But um, um, I hope to, Chime in a little bit. Uh, the, the article was, uh, as Jeremy said, deep, thick. It it was it was it was a. Uh, I read it twice, and I thought I was prepared for this uh, examination today. So hopefully, we should do well. Well, thanks for joining in, Patrick. Um, so Jeremy's first question: How can peacemakers bridge the sides of an argument? So when we look at the article, first thing that the article writes. Uh, that Dr. Peterson writes is facts are facts and opinions about facts differ. When we look at conflict, we always realize that there's a minimum of two sides to each story, right? We have to make sure that we're hearing both sides. So the person who is in that conflict resolution state or the peacemaker, when we come back to this article, you always have to listen to both sides. There's an antagonist and an agonist, right? And sometimes the antagonist thinks that they're ag the agonist. The only way to tell the difference between both is to listen to each person and try to pull out the facts of the matter. What is at stake? What is the true conflict uh, that that's being discussed or argued about? Um, I think one of the things that Dr. Peterson writes about too is, um, and it, it's right there. He kind of he jumps right out you with the article and and the second paragraph. Um, like I said, it's a seven page article, uh, but it's, it's, it's pretty heavy, but, uh, right in the second paragraph, the job of the peacemaker is to establish an accord that allows the facts themselves to become a matter of agreement. So right there, he's kind of talking about, we may have two people at conflict, but really what's in conflict right there is the facts themselves and how they differ and how the opinions of the facts differ too. Um, you know, I, I said that, you know, we're, we're always at the hub of the wheel when it comes to the sports medicine team and, and conflict resolution as athletic trainers. Um, but 
when we find ourselves in conflict ourselves, whether it's with a student or a coach, you know, how can we sift through the facts and the opinions of the facts that will actually cloud the facts themselves to bring about peace? So I'll, I'll go ahead and start and I'll share with uh, the, the group um, a, a situation I found myself in probably about three weeks ago. Um, a coach of ours was asking questions and my opinion of what was happening took precedent over the facts of what was happening. Um, the, the coach was kind of asking and, and I, I felt he was taking a jab at my job. He was taking a jab at uh, how I was going about things. When in fact, and, and we're all in COVID right now, so we're wearing masks, you cannot read somebody's face. And it's so important to be able to read people's faces so that you can start gathering more information, not from the words that are being said, but the facial features. Um, my, my fiance, uh, she teaches American Sign Language and they talk about how important it is the facial expressions when you are communicating. So when we take away one thing, it allows us to spin facts into opinions, which in my case, spun the facts of what was going on into an opinion that led to conflict. Now we were trying, we tried to resolve the conflict that day when it actually made it a little bit worse. Um, you know, it, it, we tried to tell each other to calm down and, uh, and that may be always the worst possible case to do. Um, you know, you tell somebody, if you've ever been in a relationship and you tell your significant other to relax, that may be the worst possible thing to do. And we tried doing that at the same time and it actually spun us up more. Um, you know, we had to come back to the table a couple days later when we were calm. Uh, we had to talk to our supervisor. Uh, you know, we, we shared what we thought happened. And then we came to the table together and just say, hey, this is what I thought happened. And this is what you thought happened. Where's the common ground in there? And then we, we built from that common ground out. Hey, this is what I experienced. And this is what you experienced. And we, we quickly realized that part of the reason we got into that conflict that day was we weren't able to read each other's faces. Um, you know, he thought I was being a smart ass when in fact I wasn't. And part of it was because if, you, if anybody's watching the video right now, this is what happened is all he could see was this right here. And you probably couldn't hear that because I just covered my mouth, but he could only see half of my face and I was wearing a hat that day and I'm wearing a hat right now. So Patrick, if you were to see me speaking just like this, you know, Jeremy, you probably wouldn't be able to tell how my facial expressions are. So Right there, we just see an instance of how one thing can spin a fact into an opinion. So as the peacemaker, and Patrick, this is kind of the question I want to ask you, and, and I'm glad you're here for, when you're in that supervisor position, how did those opinions cloud the facts when you're trying to resolve a conflict? I, that's great, uh, great question. And... Uh the opinions form emotional responses, right? So you get, um, there's a couple of books that, uh, uh, that I can reference, you know, Never Split the Difference is a good one. It's a negotiation book by Chris Voss and um, uh, critical, uh, crucial conversations. You get that amygdala, amygdala hijacking, you get emotionally wrapped up, right? And then and it, it happens to me all the, all the, I shouldn't say all the time you try and you try to 
to uh, shift downshift your emotions because just like you said, you know, you, you thought you he was kidding. He thought you were being a smart ass, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, an innocent little thing gets spun into this giant thing. And then you're um, having an argument and now you have to involve a third party to, um, to uh, negotiate the, you know, the, the peace or mediate the peace. But uh, it's, it's, it's taking when a, when a, a conflict arises, you have to kind of, you know, notice how you're reacting, acknowledge how you're reacting and uh, respond. Uh, and I think uh, try to emotionally detach from to take a little from our, our guy Jocko and extreme ownership to detach from that situation. Listen, I'm getting emotionally wound up in this, you know, he called me a liar. I'm not a liar. Uh, you know, my, my opinions cloud the facts. So I can't be the, I'm not the peacemaker. Now I'm, I'm defending a position <laughs> instead of trying to bridge the peace and the emotional spin up is, uh, is interesting. Uh, you know, there's a, a podcaster, a lady who's a former student athlete of our region area, Abby Gazda. She, she has this acronym master, which I basically just quoted to her uh, from that. You got to acknowledge you got to notice you're doing the behavior, acknowledge it, stop it, and then redirect uh, to try to lessen the conflict, lessen the the uh, the emotional response. We all get emotional. I mean, it's it's you know nobody wants to be uh, thought less of. So that's try to reduce the emotional response. And kind of along those same lines, I. I chose not to return an email because that same thing, you can't see the emotion. And, and I felt like it was, it was a judgmental email about the situation rather than of what happened. And, and so instead of continuing to back and forth, back and forth, I just, I didn't respond to that email at all. And I sent a different one saying, this is what I understood happened. And then left it, left it at that because I don't feel like it was going to be in any way beneficial to respond to that. And it's a conversation I still need to have in person with that person so that we can see and hear and work through rather than back and forth on email. Cause I'm not one to save old emails as like evidence against somebody. I, I just, I don't, some people do that. Some people save them just cause they're too lazy to delete stuff. But I, I just, you know, out of all of these leadership lessons that we've been going through, one of the first things is I said, you know what, that was my mistake. What do I need to do to fix it? And so I felt like, I don't know, I, I guess I felt entitled there because, okay, well, I, I owned it. Now, now let's get over it. But it wasn't just that easy for, for everybody else. So, John, did you have anything else on this one? Yeah, no, I, I we touch on this a lot when it comes to leadership and, and you just said it right there. I think the best way is if you want to be in the position of a leader, if you want to help bridge the gap of, of this conflict, one of the first things you have to do is show humility. Um, and Jeremy, you just said it. And, you know, it, the, there's a, uh, a line in this, uh, the article, it just states, humility rather than pride signals victory in the transcendent. 
And in the article, they talk about the transcendent of moving from the conflict to the peace. The more you're able to show humility in the situation, the easier it is for you to kind of transition from that conflict area into the peaceful zone. Uh, and we see that in our day-to-day -day life too. The more uh, humility you show, the more humble you are as a person, the easier it is for people to communicate with you, talk, and then for you, allow you to kind of lead them. All right. So is it better to rush or be patient with an opinion or judgment? It seems like an obvious question, but let's see what Dr. Peterson says. Patrick, did you want to add anything? I just want to chime in, Jeremy, your, your, your point about the email, uh, conflict resolution over email, it, it can't happen. It, it, it's, there's just like John said, with the mask over your face, you, you can't do tone. You can't do, uh, proper, you know, meaning, uh, I have, that's got me in more trouble in my supervisory career, trying to conflict resolute over an email or you respond really quick to an email, you type it out, type it out. And then you fire it off without even, you know, cause you're in that moment, you're emotional. You're in that moment. You fire off a responsive email. Listen, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. What do you know? Blah, 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 blah. And then you send and then it's gone. Right. You can't take it back. Um, that's got me in more, a lot of trouble in, in, in my past. So what I like to do is, hey, uh, I thank you for your email. Uh, can we have a round, can we round back uh, sometime this week, have a meeting face-to-face, -face, you know, or even a phone call, but a face-to-face, -face, again, going with what John said, to be the peacemaker, you really have to read the whole, the body language, the, the tone of voice, everything. So, yeah, uh, negoti negotiating over email, not good. Uh, conflict resolution over email, not good. Leading over emails, not good either. Yeah, that's right. So to Jeremy's point, is it better to rush or be patient with an opinion or judgment? So I'll go back and I'll read a, a text that I thought was pretty good. Uh, and I'll read it slow. It's, it's a little heavy again, once again. Um, but here it goes. Everyone must therefore have a voice. The peacemaker, however, must listen to the damned. He does not know what the facts are, and even the damned might not, might therefore have something valuable to say. When the facts are themselves in dispute, however, there is nothing left but patience. The invisible becomes visible of its own accord, in accordance with its own frame of time, and there is no pushing when the direction to push cannot be established. So we're all in athletics, and this kind of hampers our ability to be conflict uh, resolution or in that, that, that place of conflict resolution, because everything in athletics has to be done right then and there, right? Coach, Hey, can we get him back this week? You know, um, we saw, we all saw the injury from Dax Prescott and we all saw the, the funny, well, not so funny memes sometimes that said, will he be good to go next week? Or can you tape it up? Uh, and yeah, those are funny, but that's kind of a, uh, a microcosm of what we experience in, athletics everything has to be done immediately and when we get into these conflict resolution or conflicts with each other with students whoever it is we find ourselves in that space of we need to fix this now so we just got in an argument we need to fix this argument right then and there and yeah there are some times where it's like hey we do need to stop try to calm things down and and try to solve this issue um but sometimes 
yeah, time does need to take place to help kind of cure whatever's at hand. Uh, and I think that's what the text is reading uh, is sometimes we have to hear things out. We have to hear everybody out. Uh, the fact that the, the person who is in the wrong may have something valuable to say is very powerful to me. Uh, you have to listen to everybody. You have to listen to all sides of everybody's story uh, because the more you're able to pull the facts out of, of everything, the more you're able to allow something to heal, the more you're allowed to kind of frame something and then give it a direction in which it has to go. You know, we talk about missions sometimes and talk about the direction of where to go. But if you don't know where you're going, there's no point in rushing to to an end of something, right? I talk a lot about marriage. I am a fix-it-now person. Sarah is not a fix-it-now person. Sarah is, I, you know, I've been married for 15 years. And so in the start of our marriage, she was a, I don't know what they call it, like a stuffer, like, she would just stuff it down and ignore it, and eventually it would go away. Well, she's learned that it is important to talk about these things. I've also learned that it is important to walk away. You know, so if I'm mad that she didn't do the dishes, like I can just sit there and and harp on her until she gets it done, or I can do it, or I can walk away and realize I'm just frustrated with something at work, or I'm busy. I'm tired. And for me, emotional security comes with like a clean house. Like if everything is messy and chaotic, it it kind of puts me on edge there. And so it's a, again, it's about finding the facts. Well, the baby was sick. There was an appointment. There was a CPS appointment. Um, you know, grandma was in the hospital. So she didn't get to do any of that stuff that she planned to do. So maybe I need to step back and find the facts. I need to give her room to, to breathe, to share, give her th that grace. And again, it, it works the same way in, in school. And so, um, you know, we had a situation where a kid's house burned down, right? The, so they lost everything. They lost everything at home. And so then if we're looking at, well, why is that kid failing or not turning in any work this week? He's his entire house just burned. He, he just lost everything, right? Why is that kid acting out? Why is his behavior? Look at the facts. Look, take take a step back and look at the whole situation. Because if, well, that kid has been sleeping in my class for the last three weeks. Okay. But do you have any idea what just happened? Do you have any idea why is going on? And so this one, this one is super important. It's something that I've really had to learn and I have to continue to learn because with my kids, it's even harder. Uh, as a dad, you know, I need to be able to step back, be the peacemaker, find out the facts instead of, I know what you just did. I know what you were thinking. No, I don't. I think I do. I have an idea. I've, I've been in a similar situation, but I don't know for sure what he was thinking because as me and John were talking about before, with a four or five-year-old, you never have any idea what they are thinking. They could be thinking about purple cows while you're eating macaroni and cheese. I don't, I don't know, but you never truly know what somebody's thinking unless you stop and ask. It's, um, it, it's great that I'm having this extra experience now. You know, we talk about uh, leadership and athletic training, but now we have this family experience. I have this new family experience where I have a four-year-old. 
So everything I thought I knew about leadership has been tested with a four-year-old. And it really does show you your weaknesses. You know, we think we're good at conflict resolution. We think we're good at this. We think we're good at setting standards. Uh, you know, but when they're tested by a four-year-old, it really does make you think. And uh, it makes you go back to the drawing board sometimes. And, and you have to realize that there's always something new to learn. And uh, you're always going to constantly be learning. And, and conflict resolution is definitely one of those things. All right. So I meant to do this in the very beginning, but I didn't want to throw off our three, two, one count. We've already been kind of out of sync today, but congratulations, Mr. John Seiko, on your recent engagement to Jenny. So if you do follow John Seiko on Instagram or Twitter, you're going to see a lot of pictures of his fiance, a lot, right? And so they just recently got engaged. So congratulations. I'm excited to, to walk on this journey with you as it Thank does you. get more Thank and you. more interesting and more testing. So I can't wait to have more and more of these conversations. So, all right. So kind of what we were just talking about, the patience, um, the speed or vision, which one of these is more important? Is it more important to, to get this done quickly or to focus on the vision, the, the long-term outcome? So this is a good one. I, uh, I've read this a couple times and, uh, and I'll read the text again, but it, to me, it's almost, they're both equally as strong. Uh, sometimes speed is, is more important over the vision, but then uh, more times it's the vision over the speed when it comes to conflict resolution. When you read the text, it, say, it states, peace must therefore be a journey and a journey to an unspecific destination. The peacemaker is a guide in a country whose topography remains uncertain. As a guide, they have to be going somewhere, but where? Speed is a virtue. If the direction is uncertain, however, then speed may be a vice. So when we're in the middle of the conflict, when we're trying to be the peacemaker, we have to understand that we are the ones guiding that path. And a lot of times we're guiding that path through uncharted waters. So we don't know what we're getting out of it. Yes, we do need to have some speed sometimes. In athletics, we're going to have to have more speed than normal. But then we also have to understand where we're going to. We have to have that, that target that we're always aimed at. You know, I am a big person, uh, big standards person. I'm a big mission person. You know, I, every year I write down a big mission for our year. What do we want to accomplish for that year? What, do, what does my department want to accomplish that year? Uh, and, and then I set the standard for myself each week, each day. You know, I, we, I'm a goal person, so I write goals each week. And, and those are things that I want to accomplish. Because if I don't accomplish those things, then I'm not making forward progress in my life. And it's the same thing when it comes to conflict resolution. You want to make sure that you are going towards an end goal, a, a positive end goal. But speed isn't always the best way to go about things. You know, Patrick, I'm sure you've had those, those situations where somebody wanted something done right then and right now, but you have to step back and say, let's figure things out first, figure out where we're going. And then we can resolve these things. Yeah, you're, you're you're right, and as a 
as a as a fixer guy myself, I think athlete trainers are characterized as fixers. A Clifton Strengths Finder, if you've ever done that, that was one of my top five things is the fixer. Um, I do like to fix things. I want to make people better. I want to get things done. And I like to I like to act um, in a decisive and quick uh, uh, mode. Sometimes that does not uh, yield uh, the fruitful results. And again, that's a learning conversation, a learning time. Hey, like you just said, let's look at the broader picture down the road. Um, I do like to try to plan ahead uh, down the road. Um, my AD and I, we talk about the weather every time. Uh, uh, it looks like it's going to rain Saturday. We should probably do this, this, and this. That's, um, and then uh, he goes, oh, it's only a 20% chance, but whatever. So we, we, I like to plan, I like to try to fix. I like to try to, uh, uh, to, uh, to promote that, but, but you can't lose sight of the vision. The vision guides you towards your decision-making and towards the, if, if, if the conflict doesn't align with the vision, if one person thinks their interpretation of the vision is A and most of the senior leadership say the vision's really B, and we really need to kind of go down that that path. Uh, then you need to try to um, you know, state facts, not opinion, on why you know route A is the best way to go uh, to that employee. Um, and the worst thing to say is because we've always done it that way. One and two is just because, so uh, or because I said so. Which I don't have any children, so Jeremy, you probably can uh, relate to that, and John. Uh, I know I was told that quite a bit when I was a child because I said so. It's like, well, it's because this is the reason why we're doing this, and this is why you have, I, we're having this conflict. So, congratulations, John, again. By the way, I did see it on on Twitter. Um, I did not. Uh, it took me a while to figure out what was going on there. I thought maybe this kid just got a ring or something. But, uh, <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah. It, and so, discussing that as far as parenting. Like, I have definitely done it, and I'm wondering, as we talk about this, like, is it setting my kid up for failure as a leader by just saying, because I said so? Like, obviously, sometime, at some point, you'd say, I just need this done. But then, then you think, um, am I... Am I allowing him to explore the creative process to get those needs met by just saying that? And so I'm not anyway suggesting that I'm going to be perfect or have this huge aha moment paradigm shift, but it's about the small changes, just changing one thing. And so if I can slow down, like we just talked about, speed or vision, and look at the long-term health of my kid and conflict resolution by saying, son, I need I need you to empty the dishwasher right now so that I can load it right now so that, that I can load it before the baby is in bed so that I don't wake her up because I normally am noisy when I'm loading the dishwasher. Can you please go load it now instead of go load the dishwasher right now? If I can just do that each time, I'm, I think I might allow my kids that opportunity to, to learn conflict resolution better at an earlier age you know and and it brings about that that idea of you know we're we're all kind of leaning on 
Um, you know, the vision is more important than speed. But when the time is right and you need to use speed, if you constantly go back and you use uh, the vision, if you use explanations, if you give a reason why, what you end up doing is build that capital with that person. You build that credit more with that person. Now, if you're always a person that's, this needs to be done, yes, you know, just do it, just do it, just do it because I said so, because I said so, then you lose value with that person too. You know, if I constantly said that to my athletes, if I constantly said it to our four-year-old, if I constantly said it to people around me, then I become mute myself. The words that I say carry zero meaning. But if we use explanation, if we explain why, if we, if we show a vision over the speed, then we gain that capital with the people we work with. So when the time is right and you have to say, get this done now, then it carries more weight in the future. And that's one of the things I've learned over the time too, is I used to be that person that wanted things done now. I would complain. I'd be, you know, uh, like a petulant child about it. But people weren't listening to me. So I had to gain that capital with those people. I had to gain the credit within the, the individuals I work with and are around me so that when I did have to say something, that when something meant more to me, I was able to use that capital to gain what I needed. And um, that's the same thing for uh, somebody in conflict resolution. You have to sit back, you have to show the vision, but then when the time is right, you use that card to gain that conflict resolution. And so similar to that, you know, like I keep saying my kids, my students, you know, I may say, hey, I need you to go move that hose so that it's not pulled tight so it doesn't break, right? And then I expect them to do it right then. And so then if I get mad at them, why didn't you go fix that hose? Well, maybe I just said, hey, I didn't say, hey, it's, can you go do that now so that that hose doesn't break or somebody doesn't step on it and get hurt? Or instead I just say, hey, go fix that hose. So it's important, you know, with athletic training or, hey, I need you to do, I need you guys because game day here, uh, the kids are always in between like eating and getting changed and, you know, charging their phone and whatever else. I'm like, hey guys, I need you to go load the bus right now. So in those situations, if I say, hey guys, we got 10 minutes till we load the bus, I need the bus loaded, you know, when that timer goes off or whatever it is, I need you guys to go load the, stop what you're doing and go load the bus because we need to get that on there and then we can finish up everything later. So I got to figure out ways to do that there. And then, you know, I I had in the intro um, talking about, conflicts with coaches so I've had coaches like yelling at me on the sidelines why aren't they out there with the timeouts coach they're already right there if you weren't turned around yelling at me you would see they're already out there you know or I can get at the yelling yelling at them or I can ignore them or I can get mad and you know report them those kind of things as well and so and again it's a matter of coach we got this coach if you just tell me what you need we'll do our best to help you take care of it the our goal is to help take care of and provide the best health situation for these athletes that we all take care of, right? And, and again, that's one of the things that I've learned, like communicating, especially this year, uh, via email. Hey, can you make sure you see, you know, if there's any schedule changes, let me know so that we can appropriately plan medical care because there there's that vision. It's not just so that I can be in control. It's so that we can appropriately plan medical 
care. So as an athletic trainer, if you continue to share that vision with the people around you, both the ones above and below, like we talked about leading up the chain, then then it helps to build that capital, just like John said. If you share the vision enough times with your staff and, and uh, with those with the people, your employees, then speed becomes a product of that vision because they, everybody knows they're going towards the common, hey, the vision is this. We follow, you know, the organization's vision. Uh, you know, good example, you know, loading the bus on Friday night. My student aides, they know what needs to go on the bus. Um, I've got uh, a great senior student. She's done it four years. You know, do I just say, is this on the bus? Yep, 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 yep. And I trust that they're on the bus, you know. Do they forget? Sure. We forgot footballs one time, you know. I mean, not that that's part of our job, but the, the managers forgot the footballs. So, um it is what it is, but uh, if they if you share the vision to all your subordinates and to your up upper and lower change, I think then speed kind of like EAP. You know, you go through, you rehearse the EAP, you know, everybody knows their role. That's the vision. Then it when you have to activate the EAP or do your medical timeout on Friday night, this is the way it's going to go. Everybody knows the plan. Then speed becomes part of that plan. There's no conflicts. Speaking about leaders, uh, Jennifer Reeling is joined the the live chat. So Jennifer, hey, GNSC in there as well. Jennifer is leading the secondary schools athletic trainer committee for NATA. So she definitely knows about leadership there. She's been doing leadership there for a while. So Jennifer, if you're watching, you can add in any any comments, questions, thoughts you have to everything these guys are discussing. All right, so we talked some about the situation at the house where I come home, the dishes are dirty and I get mad at Sarah. Right. So for me, that's a disharmonious house. Like it's just not, we're not in sync. Right. So we're just not on the same page. So if, if at my home I'm not calm and I'm not able to be a peacemaker, then it kind of messes up the way that I do everything else as a peacemaker. And so right here it says that the man who's afraid of war cannot serve as a peacemaker. So peacemaking must be a vocation and not an occupation. Peacemaking must be a vocation and not an occupation. John? Yeah, that's definitely one of the ones that I had to reread a couple times. Uh, what does that mean? And, and what is the difference between vocation and occupation? Um, it, it makes you think, you know, can you be a full-time conflict resolution or, you know, is that a job title? No, it's not. This definitely can be part of one of your trades. Athletic trainers are jack of all trades or Jill of all trades, right? We're really good at doing everything just a little bit. And uh, being a peacemaker is definitely one of the traits that we need to understand because we find ourselves in conflict with so many individuals on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's a coach, parent, student, another athletic trainer, a physician, uh, how can we become more of a peacemaker? Uh, and, and I really enjoy, there's another line in there that uh, the man who is afraid of war cannot serve as a peacemaker. I hated conflict early in my career. Um, so much, in fact, that I became more aggressive uh, in it so that I would avoid conflict. I would kind of um, posture in a way so that I would avoid it, but it scared the hell out of me. 
you know, middle part of my career, I was, uh, I, I was still afraid of it, but then I avoided it. I, I just completely avoided it. I tried to get other people involved in uh, decision-making. I tried to have other people around so that I can defer to them when it came to the conflict. Uh, but now, you know, I, I have to go at it. I have to be the person who is going to help be the peacemaker and, and really uh, try to help kind of bridge everything together, pull out facts and understand everything uh, through humility so that I can be more of a peacemaker. It's not my occupation, but it's definitely part of who we are. Um, and, and I think part of that is, is shows how a person can become good with conflict resolution. So looking it up real quick, vocation as defined by Dr. Google Vocation is a strong feeling of suitability for a particular career or occupation, whereas occupation is defined as a job or profession. So th there is kind of the difference is that the strong feeling of suitability, the strong feeling of suitability for the particular career or occupation. So like I'm just I'm just doing this job to get paid or this is really what I'm doing. My mission, my goal is to help protect the athletes. Or I just come here, fill out some paperwork, tape some ankles, and then go home. So, again, we talk about none of this can stand alone. It can't be just in your personal life or just in your professional life. And so, again, I want to lead my family first. I want to lead my family more than I want to lead anything here at the school. But if, I've, if I can do one, then I should be able to do the other. And if I can't do one, then I probably can't do the other either because it talks about a, a disharmonious house, right? And I am, I am not willing to sacrifice my house or my family life <clears throat> leadership so that I can succeed at work. Patrick? Yeah, I, I, I uh, totally agree. It's We are... We are in conflict consistently with uh, other people, and you have to be able to, to you know, de deal with other is it officials, other athletic trainer, coaches, parents. You know, uh, parents want their children to play, right? Uh, and you're trying to say, well, no, I think we need to, you know, get it evaluated. You know, well, they they just walk it off or whatever. I mean, it's you know, you, you fight that battle, you fight for them, and you can get. I think it's common in a lot of younger professionals, uh, early early career uh, athletic trainers. You you have all this knowledge. You want to do right by your your student athletes, and then you get you know in conflicts with parents or another doctor. And even though you are taught this way and you've seen it happen, uh, sometimes it's it's just experience and. You know, I, I agree with John. He, early in your career, you were more aggressive, and then you start learning and start developing that relationship with team physicians, with the parents, and build up that leadership capital. And you know, you're you're, you're right, even though you're right, and the parents want to go all the way around the circle to come back to the same decision you had. Uh, you know, you can be that person. And I think it's in, in this day and age, everybody wants to be the I told you so person, right? Well, I told you it was an ACL. 
but you didn't believe me. You want to go all the way around to see five doctors to, to get the same answer. And, but you, again, humility, um, is, uh, is the big key thing. I do want to read a interesting little passage, uh, from, from history. And I know John likes history and, uh, it's not going to deviate too much, but it talks about conflict resolution. Well, uh, for us students of history, this coming month is a there's a pretty big conflict uh, that happened back in October in 1962, I believe. So, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. I've been reading a little bit about it, but this, let me just read this uh, from Kennedy's thoughts. It's actually from a strategist on nuclear strategy. Uh, he is quoted, this is Mr. Hart saying, keep strong if possible. In any case, keep cool and un have unlimited patience. Never corner an opponent and always assist him to save face. Put yourself in his or her shoes so as not to see things through their eyes. Avoid self-righteousness like the devil. Nothing is so self-blinding. So I, I thought that was very poignant uh, Back then, and obviously that was a pretty big, uh, pretty big conflict uh, that had to be resolved um, in uh, in 1962 in October. So uh, we're coming up on the anniversary of that, and I thought that was just very, uh, very poignant for today's conflict conversation as well. So interesting, just interesting. Yeah, I think it's 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 important. You you talked about. Um putting yourself in somebody's shoes and understanding what they're thinking. And, and that's so important in that. That brings us kind of to the next topic of uh, when you are in that place of trying to, uh, to resolve some conflict, when you're that peacemaker, uh, you have to show both empathy and sympathy. And I want to get everybody's thoughts on the importance of both showing empathy and showing sympathy and what the difference is to you. Jeremy? All right, so I think the biggest help for me um, was when I took the AT Cares course, instead of saying, I know how you feel, you can say, I've been in a similar situation because I don't know how you feel when you lost your dog. I have, I've had a dog die, but I don't know how you feel when you lost your dog, right? And so I think the ability to... Um, to connect and to say those feelings are normal, those feelings are okay, but then also just saying, um, just, I guess understanding the the situation is is unique for each person, you know. And I mentioned before, like I felt felt like at the beginning of last year I was traumatized. I was uh, in a place of conflict for most of the year, but then it took several repeated. Uh, positive interactions. Whereas this year I felt like I started with good positive interactions and, and it changed the outlook for the school year. And so in a situation where I've grown up in a, in a safe and secure situation and in a school where I've been doing good things, um, you know, where I have a house that's in order, I have a good solid foundation. And so expecting everybody else to be in the same background, same upbringing, same situation as me, it doesn't really work. So I have to be willing to, like Patrick just said, put myself in their shoes or to step back and look 
at the details and not just like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for, I feel sorry for you because feeling sorry for that athlete uh, that just tore their ACL that's a senior or feeling sorry for that coach that just can't understand why a concussion is a legal matter. You know, it's like, well, I just pity you because you're, you're dumb or because you can't get with it. But it's, it's a matter of understanding their situation is not your situation and being willing to and able to relate to find that common ground. It's difficult to, uh, sympathy and empathy are not interchangeable. They are, you know, two different things. And that was hard to, for me to, um, define, um, because I say, oh, well, I sympathize with you that you don't want to wear, you know, um, regular, you know, uniform or I sympathize. But it's really, I, I try to empathize with you for try to understand other people's feelings. That's, uh, that's the term, you know, I want, I wanted to use, but I keep saying sympathy. I sympathize. Well, sympathy means you, ref- you take part in someone's feelings. You know, I don't know uh, what it's like to be a parent. Um, I don't have children. Now, Jeremy did, I, I do, I do have dogs, you know, we've had several dogs and unfortunately uh, dogs cannot go the full distance with us. And so it's, it's difficult um, to lose a pet like that. Um, um, and that have been with you for 10, seven to 10 years. Um, and so I can sympathize with losing uh, a pet um, but I, you know, I can't really sympathize uh, with, uh, you know, waking up at 2 a.m. to take care of your, your child or, 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 or uh, Jeremy's situation where he, uh, he has to wait. He may, he's noisy uh, filling the dishwasher because it may wake the, the baby that he has. Um, but I can try to empathize with that. So that's, we, we get in, I think people use those words too interchangeably. Um, and I really try to say empathize. I try to put myself in other people's shoes or, or, or for um, another word is, you know, far be it for me to say, or uh, there go, uh, you know, uh, there go uh, God before me type thing. It's, uh, it's, I don't want to be in that situation, but I will try to understand your feelings of losing your house of um, I can uh, empathize uh, and sympathize with my folks in Louisiana because I spent 10 years down there and, you know, we in the middle of the state in Winfield, Louisiana, we did not have the hurricane devastation that they did down on the coast, but uh, um, I can, I can do both with that all the way up here. But some people who live up there up here don't can't sympathize because they've never been in that situation. Just as people in Louisiana are not going to sympathize with us folks up here in a blizzard because they have never dealt with it. Yeah, it's, it's really important to have both of those uh, and have both of them as, as important feelings within your person when you are coming at different, different situations. You know, sometimes it's more important to show sympathy. Other times it's more important to show empathy. But without both, you're never going to be able to truly be a peacemaker when it comes to conflict resolution. Um, so showing care, showing understanding, um, it, those are very important. Uh, if you don't care, if you don't understand, then you're never, never going to be able to help somebody. And you're never going to be in that position to uh, be a conflict, uh, be a peacemaker when it comes to conflict. 
So having both in your toolkit and really understanding them as a person and, and how they affect you and how you can be um, better at showing both is, is very, very important. So before we close out, I want to read uh, a passage out of uh, the Daily Stoic. Uh, it's a quote from Bruce Lee. So, you know, we're talking about conflict resolution, but we bring in a quote from Bruce Lee. Um, but I thought it was really important because it, it shows how important conflict resolution is as a practice. It's something that you are never truly ever going to be uh, perfected, um, but you have to constantly practice at it. So states, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. And to me, that just shows that conflict resolution is a skill that has to be practiced over and over and over and have a true understanding that it's never going to be perfected. You know, it's interesting. Earlier you mentioned a, a Jack or a Jill of all trades. And so I know we're kind of closing it out, but I've recently thought like, am I making these mistakes? Am I making some of these mistakes because I'm doing too many different things? Like, is there something that I need to cut out? You know, I've told Sarah, sometimes I feel like the times that I make the big mistakes at work are the times where I'm trying to do something extra. And it's not like doing it extra for me. It's like I'm trying to do something for the for the students or for the program. Like I'm trying to do more. But then is that the reason that I'm I'm having these conflicts? Because I'm trying to do more. But, you know, I just haven't practiced that that many times and so it's interesting to see do I need to narrow my focus and then do better at that or do I continue to try and put myself in all these different situations and and relate to them where they are and do something to help each of those situations this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash conflict resolution you know John Seiko if you listen to the podcast at all you know how to get all damn if not then look on twitter J-O-H-N-C-I-E-C-K-O, Patrick O'Haver. Again, you can look on Twitter there as well as Facebook, and you can type in Patrick O'Haver, or on Twitter is P-A-T-C-1996. Is that right, Patrick? Yeah, can I uh, close it out? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to you guys. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to be on this, and thank you for doing this mode of uh, communication. Uh, Two years ago, John said, I hope that this leadership broadcast helps out one person and I will say, yes, it did. It helped me out, uh, exposed me to extreme ownership and all those books and got me into podcasts and got me better as a supervisor. And maybe I was able to hire, hire Tom Barkowski, who is one of the founding members of the Wolfpack. So maybe down the line, that's kind of trickled down. So now we have the Wolfpack, we have the AT talks, uh, Tom does a great job with that. So you guys have kind of been the catalyst for, I think, that kind of medium. So thank you for letting me be on here, and thank you for the job you guys are doing. I appreciate you guys as closing gratitude. So there you go. Shout out to Scott Arsenault with Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, Patrick, you know, I, we were able to actually connect uh, last year in Vegas, um, and and, you know, it was – 
yeah, I'm always hopeful that this touches at least one person and it changes uh, just one little thing in their practice and, and is able to help them out, um, whether it's in their professional or personal life. Um, I've seen uh, leaps and bounds in, in, in my life from some of these practices, um, and it's both professional and personal. Um, I, I'm definitely not the person I was four years ago, and that's a really good thing. Uh, and I'm really happy that I was able to reach you and, um, you know, you know, you were able to take these things and put them into practice. And, uh, we're going to hear from other people in a couple of weeks that have been fans of the show that have listened, that have, uh, changed their lives up a little bit. And, uh, with that, they've changed their practice as athletic trainers. Uh, we're growing, we're a growing profession. And it's part of uh, us taking ownership of who we are and, and what we do. John, have you had any um, conflicts in dealing with myotech? Actually, no, I haven't. Um, I, I get everything I need to from those guys. So you haven't had to resolve any conflict with myotech? You know what? No, you know, I'll say this. Danny Wallace, who is my supplier, who has been the person I'm in contact with whenever I need something, the only conflict I've ever had with Danny is one day he said, he sent me an email. I said, happy fry, yay. And I asked him never to do that again and just order my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so Myotech is one of the supporters. I just talked with Paul this last week just about how they want to continue supporting the podcast and uh, growing with us as athletic trainers. So if you want to check out Myotech, you can go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Myotech. You can use the code DSMB. If you're ordering something personally, I know usually if you're ordering something through a school, it'd be on a bid list or something like that, but um, hit them up, check them out, at least give them a shot. So that's one of the things that, you know, even if they're not like right here in Pasadena, we have a bid list. We have to, we can only send it to approved vendors. So I'm going to probably start sending it out to Paul as well and then letting them send me their quote and then that way maybe we can add them in to our approved vendors in the coming years and just starting that process and having kind of reasons and evidence to do that. So give them a shot. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash myotech. And if you're buying it personally, you can use the SMB as the code. So for John, Patrick, the leadership series on the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash conflict resolution. For Jeremy and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap.